Maxwell House, it's good to the last drop. <laughs> Red Bull gives you wings. Coca-Cola, it's the real thing. Aquafina, pure water, perfect taste. <laughs> Gatorade, helps you win from within. We're promised all kinds of things by drink companies, but no one makes the kind of promise that we've just heard Jesus make in the gospel according to St. John. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Living water. Now that sounds refreshing. St. Paul writes, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. What Jesus is offering us in this gospel passage is the gift of his transforming love poured into our hearts, transforming love of our lives. Through faith in Jesus, you and I now have access to the only thing that will quench our thirst. In Jesus, we have the love of God poured into us by the Holy Spirit. And because we've tasted that living water, we can't help but be changed forever. And just to say a few words to our confirmands and to those being received, welcome those being received. To the confirmands, this is your moment to stand up and say, I want this living water. To publicly profess before the church gathered that Jesus is your Savior and that you'll follow him and obey him as your Lord. The fact is love changes everything, and that's what you are hopefully embracing today, the love of Christ in your lives. You see, God saw the big picture. God knew that we could never make our way back to him on our own. God knew that you and I left our own efforts would fail over and over. We would fail to come back into a relationship with the one who created us to be in relationship. And so God chose to take the initiative. He chose to make that relationship whole again by doing something which was unimaginable, sacrificing himself for the very people who caused the pain in the first place. God's love changes everything. In Romans chapter 1, St. Paul spends a lot of time documenting the weaknesses of human nature. He's got a laundry list of bad behaviors, I'm sure you heard, of human actions that depart from God's ideal for each of us. And in chapter 1 and 2, Paul lays out what is wrong with human nature, which is what's going to make chapter 5 of Romans and then chapter 8 of Romans ring out with good news, not just good news, but great news. We read on that the wages of that sin that Paul lists is death. But then we discover that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And now, by grace, we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And we jump into Romans 8, where we discover there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is good news. Romans 1 has some hard things to say about us, about human nature, and about how we've rejected God and gone after our own ways. But taken in context, we have to know that we were sinners before we could be forgiven. In the second half of Romans 1, Paul lists 35 different behaviors that are in defiance of God's plan for us as men and women. It's a laundry list of sins, but despite all this manner of righteousness, God still loves us and gave up his son for us so that we might be forgiven. When we look at the cross of Christ, we can't help but see that judgment and that wrath poured out because of our sin. But even that wrath is shrouded in the amazing love of God. And that's why we're here this morning, because of such a great love. A love which Paul says, as we continue on in his letter to the Romans, gives us reason to boast in the hope 
of our sharing in the glory of God. In other words, because of God's great sacrificial love, you and I can one day look forward to celebrating the glory of God in heaven. God's love comes to us yet, even when we were yet sinners. Before expecting the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross, everyone before, before his redeeming work, every one of us stood outside of God's grace. We were at war with God, and yet he loves us and died for us. This one reality is so evident in our reading from John's gospel. Here we have a Samaritan woman who to the Jews is about the lowest form of human life there is. To the Jews, Samaritans were half-breeds. They'd mingled Jewish heritage with that of the pagans, and they'd perverted the faith that had been given to them from Abraham. So this woman is already viewed as outside of God's grace, outside of his forgiveness and love. And on top of that, it seems her moral life was in a bit of a shambles as well, contradicting the revealed law of God. She had had five husbands and was now living with a sixth man who wasn't even her husband. And yet the God of the universe, the Holy One of Israel, sat down beside her and reached out to her. After he offers to give her this taste of living water, he goes on to reveal her sinfulness and brokenness and how much she needs that living water. She then tries to redirect, redirect his conversation by defending the Samaritan position on true worship and whatever else. It's then we see Jesus give her an invitation. He says, the hour's coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I think he is inviting her, despite being a sinful person, despite being the wrong ethnicity, and despite believing false teaching, Jesus is saying to this woman, if you believe in me, if you taste of the living water, you will have access to God the Father. And then he confirms to her that she, he is in fact the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. You notice her first response? It's to go back to town and start telling everyone, I think I've met the Messiah. You have to go and see. Jesus stays in the Samaritan town for two days teaching them, and many come to believe that he is in fact the Savior of the world. It's an amazing story, but let me depart from my sermon for a second and go back to the narrative of the text. As the disciples come back, the woman leaves and goes into town and begins telling everyone about Jesus, and then there's this conversation about the harvest and about the role of the disciples, uh, about the work that they've been called to do, and about Jesus obeying God's will in proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then he begins to use this farming metaphor. He says, uh, the harvest is white, for, or the, the the crops are white for harvest, and from what I understand, when wheat is ready to be harvested, the tips turn white. Well, if you read in this narrative, what you see happening is the apostles are talking to Jesus, Jesus is looking at the apostles, and beyond them he sees this entire town of Samaritans approaching him. They would have been dressed in white robes with white head coverings. The harvest is, is white, it's ready to be harvested, and here they come. And he was turning the apostles loose to share the coming of God's kingdom in the person of Jesus Christ. Despite the truth of Romans 1, and despite our brokenness and the sinfulness of human nature, none of us stand outside the embrace of God's loving arms. No matter how bad we've been, no matter how wrong we've acted, or how, no matter how off our thoughts and words have been, we are not outside of God's love. There is no group of people no individual sinner outside of the reach of God's love. Jesus died for everyone without exception. And when we accept, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we'll be asking for today for those being confirmed, 
It's then that God's love begins to work on us, to make us more and more like him, more and more into the image of his son. That's the purpose of the Christian life. Our disciplines, our devotions, our worship, our study, our prayer is all for that purpose of becoming more like our Savior Jesus. Finally, having received the love of God and having tasted this living water, what are we to do? And here's where the Samaritan woman, probably the most ironic point in the whole story, becomes our role model. What did the woman do when she met Jesus? She went and told others. And we should too. As God's love is being poured into our hearts like water, it should overflow out of our lives into the lives of those around us. There are a lot of things in this world that claim to quench our thirst, but they never do. Only one thing can truly satisfy. And in a few moments, we will come forward to this altar rail and drink of this living water as we feed on our Lord, as we take his body and blood into our hearts and souls. He will fill us to overflowing with his love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And you and I will leave here changed. We will leave here different. We will leave here satisfied because that's what God's love does. In the name of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.